Hi, I'm the Space Quest Historian, and I want you to listen to the Upper Memory Blog Podcast, because I say so. Welcome to episode number 70 of the Upper Memory Block Podcast. Wow, 70 episodes. Hey, that's pretty crazy. Uh, so this week, or this time, or whatever you want to call it, is uh, is going to be a news episode. We're going to go through a couple of, uh, of talking points here, uh, things you, I thought you guys might be interested in that I've come across in my travels, and either I or you all have posted on Twitter and to the Facebook group, and... Uh, and all of that. So uh, first of all, I just want to thank Trolls for that uh, resounding uh, <laughs> uh, plug for the show at the beginning right there. And um, I think he may have been a little bit drunk when he did it. And uh, <laughs> it was actually a Snapchat. I, I think it was a Snapchat or something like that. Or no, sorry, it was a Vine. And uh, I kept the the the, uh, the audio out of it. And if you want it to sound real creepy, I uh, <laughs> I, I I tried to... Uh, take out the uh, the background people talking and then it sounded like trolls was alone in a room by himself saying things in that tone of voice and uh it works when you're in a bar but not so much when you, you cut out the background noise so uh i decided to leave it in so you know you got a little bit of of flavor there and you know i actually thought it was pretty cool so uh you know if you guys want to fire off something like that uh you know i'll use it i'll, I'll use it at the beginning of shows maybe the news shows here and there, you know, something like I'm whoever and uh, you're listening to the Upper Memory Block podcast, I think would be really cool. I'd love to get some bumpers from you guys if you want to record it on your phone or whatever. Fire it off podcast at umbcast.com and uh, hey, I'll use them here and there. Why the hell not? All right. So time to get to the news. Uh, we got a couple things to talk about. Firstly, um, because, you know, I did the last new show kind of, I guess it was mid-February. We can roll all the way back to February 24th. And on February 24th, PC Gamer put out a great write-up about uh, Homeworld Remastered, which uh, released on Steam on the next day, February 25th. Uh, as many of us may remember, Homeworld is a uh, 1999-1999-1999-party-like-as-1999-space-RTS-developed-by-Relic-and-published-by-our-friends-at-Sierra-in-the-kind-of-waning-days-of-that-company. Uh, Homeworld, surprisingly, is uh, is a game I've never actually played, which is honestly uh, a travesty considering the praise the game generally receives and uh, and my love of sci-fi and space games in general. Well, Gearbox took uh, took both the original game and uh, the sequel, Homeworld Two, and uh, and remastered them. They upgraded the graphics, the cinematics, and uh, they did tweak the gameplay somewhat for uh, for a more modern audience. Now, the article focuses. A little bit on what I intend to discuss on this weekend's group hangout. Uh, Brian Martell, chief creative officer at Gearbox, explains the tightrope that the, the team tried to walk. Uh, you know, they wanted to upgrade the game without changing, you know, really changing its style or its you know basic look or or kind of its basic DNA. Uh, I'll leave it up to you guys to figure out if they succeeded. 
but based on reviews, it seems like they did a pretty good job. You can grab the Homeworld Remastered Collection, which contains remastered versions of both Homeworld 1 and 2, on Steam for $34.99 US. Next in Kickstarter news, the Underworld Ascendant Kickstarter funded back on March 6th. Now, I'm not sure if I discussed this one before. I feel like I did, but maybe I just posted it on the Facebook group. Uh, but some of the original dev team that worked on Ultima Underworld got together to make kind of this spiritual successor to that game. I don't think they're using the name Ultima anywhere since uh, that belongs to EA. But um, despite that, they were able to hit over $860,000 in funding, which busted their original $600,000 goal. So, hey, you know, it was, it was, seems like it was a pretty sure thing. Now, despite the fact that I just said that, the campaign didn't really go as gangbusters as they had intended, as their original top stretch goal was set at $1.2 million. But I'd say $860K isn't too shabby. But the way it seems now with current Kickstarter projects is uh, they kind of set, you know, a quote-unquote reasonable basic goal, but the intention really isn't just to stop there. So, you know, they probably, let's say maybe they could have made the game on $600,000. What they really wanted to do was hit the $1.2 million goal and do the whole game that they wanted to do, or at the very least, that would have given them the space to do the basic game that they had originally promised and eventually get to do all the stretch stuff with... Uh, you know, supplementation from sales from the game, maybe Steam uh, green light sales and uh, and all that stuff. So anyways, 860K, not too shabby, should be enough to make a game. I'm not a game developer, but we can only hope. And, uh, you know, let's, let's hope they can deliver because I know a lot of folk are big fans of, uh, of Ultima in general and Ultima Underworld uh, specifically. I'm not a big Ultima fan myself if only because I wasn't a huge RPG fan and uh, I just really never got around to playing them. So that's another one to chalk up uh, to cover on the show. I just need a lot of time to play RPGs because, you know, they're long games and I want to be able to get a proper flavor for them. So that's why I don't cover RPGs super often. But, uh, you know, Ultima, uh, what's the other one? Zork. I guess that's kind of an RPG. No, it's more of a text adventure. But, uh or maybe it's an RPG. Anyways, you guys can get mad at me and tell me what you think. Uh, what you think Zork is? What's the one I'm thinking of? Icewind Dale, the first part of Icewind Dale. There's remastered editions of it out. Uh, Road Betrayal. No, not Betrayal of Crondor though. That's another one. Anyways, you know, you guys are all yelling at me with the name of it, and I can't remember it for the life of me. Anyways, Underworld Ascendant. Very exciting. Next, in a little bit of sad news, uh, Electronic Arts, our good friends <laughs> that we don't hate, uh, has finally closed down the Maxis studio in Emeryville, California. Now, this office in Emeryville has housed the Maxis team for the last 12 years. And, um, you know, as much as this is kind of more of an administrative thing, I really do think closing down this studio signals the end of an era. Uh, EA will be transferring ex existing Maxis Emeryville development to their other offices, one in Salt Lake City and then a couple of other places. And, you know, well, they officially said in, in their press release that they were unsure how many jobs would be affected. Uh, tweets coming out of the office say most people are, in fact, losing their jobs, at least in uh, Emeryville. Uh, at this point, 
Maxis, much like LucasArts and Sierra are, you know, Maxis, the, the studio is closing, but the name isn't going away. So like LucasArts and Sierra, it's going to be used as a label for uh, for marketing by by big publishers like EA. Uh, I still do have some faith that the new Sierra is going to put out some interesting stuff. And, um, you know, it'll also be interesting to see if the new uh, Battlefront game, which has been announced comes out under the LucasArts banner or if it just, you know, then maybe they're going to create a Lucas Games or maybe it's going to be a Disney Interactive thing. Who knows? I've decidedly less faith in EA that, you know, they're going to keep putting out good stuff. It's not as though Maxis has been setting the world on fire lately. I mean, Sims 4 aside, because it's, you know, it's the Sims and that's just kind of a juggernaut. And frankly, I bought it even though I only played it for about 10 minutes and I'm an idiot because I spent like $70 on it. Um, as much as I said back in the episode where I covered SimCity 2013, um, as much as I said that I enjoyed it, I did enjoy it. But, you know, coming back with uh, with full hindsight, I didn't enjoy it for very long. Now, it's not to say that I hated it at any point. I never threw the game away in disgusting. this is a stupid game and it sucks. I just sort of burned out on it really fast. Um, you know, there were some great ideas in, in SimCity, like modular buildings and kind of the you know, I guess they're called, they're not called team goals, but where, you know, a whole bunch of cities and multiplayer would get together and build a big project. Um, you know, those are cool ideas, but they really missed the mark on the essence of what a SimCity game should have been. And this is the studio that makes SimCity. So, you know, if, if they don't know what SimCity is, then, then who does? You know, and, and I can't help but believe, again, I don't have any proof of this, but uh, I can't help but believe that, that, SimCity's failure, both at launch and continuing on, and you know, sales, it contributed to Max's shutting down ever so slightly. Recently, though, you know, if we want to talk about city builders, I've been obsessed with Cities Skylines from uh, published by Paradox and uh, developed by Colossal Order. I mean, I can't say enough good things about this game. It's everything that SimCity should have been. In fact, it's so much like an enhanced version of SimCity 4 that it almost makes me wonder how EA hasn't sued them yet. I mean, it even has the iconic SimCity RCI, residential, commercial, industrial meters. And I guess you could argue that most city builders have something like that. But this is like, you know, it's RCI, residential's green, commercial's blue, industrial's yellow. It, it's, it's a complete copy. So, you know, either way, I'm glad they haven't been sued or maybe they have and we haven't heard about it yet. But uh, either way, I love City Skylines and for 30 bucks, it's hard to go wrong with it if you're looking for a solid city builder. It's really, really great. So, you know, as much as they did fall down under EA's poor leadership, I'm, I'm always going to remember the Maxis of old, you know, making games that were marvels of complexity, yet were somehow imminently approachable and fun. So, you know, rest in peace, Maxis. Speaking of, of hopefully getting good things out of Sierra, I know I talked about this last time. I kind of teased it. Um... So Game Informer ran their in-depth look at the upcoming King's Quest game from The Odd Gentleman. Now, the fairly lengthy article goes uh, goes pretty in-depth into uh, design ideas, gameplay, setting, and some of the characters that uh, we'll see in the new game, along with, you know, some assets like art and, uh, you know, a couple screenshots and things like that. Um, as much as old-school adventure aficionados are probably going to want to poo-poo this thing out of the gate, backseat designers, I'm looking at you guys, I'd interested to hear what you have to say about this um the more i read about this game the more i think it's going to be an interesting unique and refreshing take on uh, on the adventure genre i can't help but agree with the article i think the odd gentlemen are on the right track and that's not just because they showed it to roberta and ken williams and roberta said it was great because 
you know, <laughs> as uh, as much as a lot of people attribute uh, groundbreaking game design to uh, to Roberta Williams, when you go and look back at the stuff that she did, eh, it wasn't all that great. It was unique at the time, but uh, not super creative. Anyways, we can have uh, maybe we should have a, <laughs> a discussion about her in, uh, in in one of the group hangouts. <laughs> Anyways, there's two articles, one from Game Informer where they go all in-depth, and then there's another one at Eurogamer where they take a slightly different tack and um, kind of review a bunch of the same things. So both those links will be in the show notes. And uh, King's Quest coming out. I don't know when it's coming out. I should probably have checked that out, but uh, excited. Very excited. And in more Kickstarter news, I can't help but talk about Descent Underground. Now, much like the Underworld Kickstarter, uh, Descent Underground is a modern remake of the well-known Six Degrees of Freedom shooter Descent, which I covered uh, back maybe in the episode in episode in the 30s or something. I covered Descent, anyways. I covered it on the show, and um, now unlike Underworld, it does appear that the group at Descendant Studios that are making the game did get authorization to use the Descent license from Interplay. So this will actually be an official Descent game in the series, you know, in the continuity, if you will, of, uh, of Descent. In fact, not only is it supposed to be a modern remake, it's also apparently a prequel to the two existing Descent games. Take from that what you will. Uh, <laughs> we can have a discussion about uh, people's thoughts on the Star Wars prequels and uh, things like that. But uh, hey, who knows? Now, again, this particular campaign much like the Underworld Kickstarter, was no slam dunk. I think this is starting to be kind of a, a trend with Kickstarter. Either a campaign is going to go gangbusters right out the gate and, you know, hit their goal within an hour or two, or it's going to be a slog and, you know, they might they might just make it, they might not. So this one was, was really down to the wire. With about three hours left in the campaign, they just snuck past their $600,000 goal. And, uh, you know, at the end of the campaign... They ended off with a grand total of 601,773 USD. Now, I'm glad they succeeded. And the game looks interesting. It looks like it's a very faithful kind of uh, successor to uh, Descent. A lot of the ship design looks uh, looks very similar. And there's all kinds of different ships you can pilot. And, uh, you know, things like that. But uh, with only $600,000, I am hoping that uh, that they're able to put out the game that uh, that they want to put out. All right, next in Tim Schafer news. Back on March 24th, we finally got an official release date for Act 2 of Broken Age. Yes, finally. It will be available in just a few weeks, actually just about two weeks, something like that, uh, on April 28th. Uh, Double Fine's put out a video, actually, of the first 12 minutes of gameplay for Act 2. So if you want to be spoiled on, you know, the first chunk of the game, um, head on over there and check it out. Also, I don't know if this was ever not a fact, but it has been confirmed that if you are an owner of Act 1, you'll be getting Act 2 for free. Now, I'm right near the end of Act 1. Actually, if you guys go to the YouTube channel, I, I did stream... Uh, my playthrough of of Act One, but I never actually finished it. So basically, where the third video ends, that's where I'm at. Uh, this might be motivation to to go and do that. I enjoyed Act One, even though you know from an adventure game perspective, it wasn't particularly challenging. Uh, saying I might as well finish it because I started it. Not really a glowing review in my book, but hey, that's kind of how I feel. Uh, to me. I'm just going to put down my wine here, doing a little drinking. 
Uh, <laughs> to me, this is a huge downside of, of crowdfunding. You know, I feel like, but not even crowdfunding. I feel like it's, it's a huge downside of both crowdfunding. It's a downside of early access. It's a downside of, you know, I'm all about transparency and I like seeing into the process. I like seeing how the sausage is made and all that. But it, it definitely exposes kind of the uglier side of, of, uh, of game development. And when you kind of front load all this hype for a game that isn't done yet and a game that is either, you know, coming out in a year or a game that is coming out in an episode or a game that is available to play, but it's in a very alpha state and it's not really done. When you front load all of that hype there, at least for me, I get my hands on the game. I do my stuff, blah, 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 blah. I play it. Oh, it's alpha. It's not ready yet. Or, oh, it's coming next year. The hype is gone. You know, and I, I know I've talked about this before, but the hype goes away. And then it's kind of for me, once once I've seen the game, I have my opinion. And a lot of the time it's 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 past. It's done unless there's a really compelling reason or, you know, someone says, no, no, the game's changed a lot. Someone I trust will say, you know, this is amazing now and people are playing it and it's incredible. All that hype is wasted because... Ah, you know, you, you don't see the game in its final form, and, and that makes me sad. So kind of for me now, you know, Broken Age Acklon 1 was an acceptable game. It was enjoyable. Not enough for me to finish it, apparently. And, you know, now Act 2 is out, and I'm like, yeah, okay, I guess. I don't remember what I was doing. I don't remember where the story was. I know there were two people in it. There was a boy and a girl, and stuff happened. So now do I have to go back and replay Act 1? Well, maybe I can watch my playthrough, but, you know, it's just, ah. You know, if, if you have an episodic game like this, you know, Broken Age Act 1, Broken Age Act 2, like, they need, it needs to be timely. Like, if Act 1 came out, Act 2 needed to come out, like, a, within a few months, not like a year later. So, anyways, now I'm off on a tangent, and, um, anyways, I'm, as I said, I'm casually looking forward to finishing off, uh, Broken Age Act 2, and I think that's gonna be all of it. There's, there isn't gonna be an Act 3, as far as I know. This should, uh, end off the story. All right, so since this is me, and this is UMBcast, and we talk about Kickstarter a lot, and I think I've already done it twice, we're going to talk about it one more time. But this one is a good one. I'm not going to poo-poo this one at all. Infamous Quests, creators of the great Kickstarter game Quest for Infamy, are aiming to fund not one, not two, but three new point-and-click adventures. Uh, Quest for Infamy, Roam to Ruin, is a prequel to their first Kickstarter effort, Quest for Infamy. Uh, in this game... Uh, we learn about um, the original game's protagonist, Roam, and uh, how he got to where he was in the original game. The second one, they're, you know, the second kind of game that they're, uh, they're crowdfunding is called Order of the Throne, The King's Challenge. Now, this will be the first in a new episodic anthology series with each episode taking place in the same kind of world, but uh, with different characters. Now, finally, since they already reached their $21,000 goal... Uh, they added stretch goals. Uh, if they hit $35,000, which uh, I sincerely hope they do, they will put out the second episode of uh, Order of the Throne named Fortress of Fire. Now, how can they do this? You know, I'm, I'm here and I'm looking at like the Descent Kickstarter and I'm looking at the Underworld Kickstarter and they're making like 600K and 800K kind of a thing. So, you know, how... <laughs> How, how is Infamous Quest going to do this with, you know, $21,000? Well, it turns out all of these games have actually been in development for quite some time. 
And uh, this campaign is really just a way to accelerate the final polishing of the games and add some more expensive features such as voice acting, because hey, you gotta pay actors and uh, they cost money, especially if you want decent ones, not just you know Frank from accounting like they did in Space Quest. I actually had the pleasure of participating in uh, in the Backseat Designer season finale a while back, and Steven Alexander, who's you know ostensibly the head honcho over at Infamous Quest, was on that hangout as well. He's a very funny, very jovial guy, and and you know you can tell that he and the rest of his team are incredibly committed to putting out a great product. You know, I really enjoyed Quest for Infamy, and um, I can only imagine that the follow-on titles will be. You know, hopefully just as good, but I think they're going to be even better. So this Kickstarter ends on May 3rd, so head on over there and support them. This one gets my seal of approval. You know, I'm not, I'm not questioning how they're going to do it, because these guys can put out a product. Okay, time for some star control news. Um, a while back, it might even have been last year, I reported that Stardock had acquired the rights to star control and uh, that they would be working on a new entry into that series. Now, I love Stardock. They do great work. Both uh, <laughs> Stardock's an interesting company because not only do they make very interesting games, but they make a whole whack of like Windows utilities, like object desktop and window blinds and and all this stuff. And so they're, they're a weird company because they're they, they make great games, but they also make really good utilities. So um, <laughs> you know, they, they they do great work. But I must say, I'm a little bit confused on this one. Stardock CEO Brad Wardell posted a fact on his, an FAQ that is, uh, on his personal blog, outlining a few things. Now, instead of making a sequel or a prequel to the original two Star Control games by Toys for Bob, they're going to be rebooting the universe with, uh, with a new story and new aliens. Now, they did this because it appears that, well, they have the rights to the name Star Control. It's not clear if they have the rights to kind of anything else involving star control. So one of the questions on this FAQ is, is basically what is the new star control? And, and this is the answer put forth. And I quote, back in the day, Accolade and later Atari became owner of the trademark and publishing rights for the original star control series. Stardock, along with Paul and Fred all agree that the aliens and story elements of the classic star control series belongs to them. End quote. So, this is a little odd. They got the name, but they don't have any of the elements from the original games, as far as I can see. So we're getting a new game in the Star Control universe that's going to have a huge volume of space to explore. They're basically saying that, you know, like the the entire size of Star Control 2 is going to be like one star cluster, one system kind of a thing in the new game. So that sounds great. But then we're also not going to have any of the iconic story points or aliens, which are, you know, huge. I mean, the alien races in Star Control are like what make the whole game. I'll definitely be keeping an eye on this one, but you know, I'm, I'm interested to see how it how it shakes out. Now, I think gameplay-wise, we're probably gonna have something good here, but is it actually gonna be Star Control? Eh, I don't know. Let's see. Finally, we've got more LucasArts GOG releases. I actually just really want to talk about one, uh, the last one. A few days back, GOG released the 1996 game Afterlife. Now, this is a game I haven't thought of in years, but the second I saw the announcement, a flood of memories came rushing back into my head. Uh, in Afterlife, you play a sort of uh, demigod, who I think your name is like Demiurge or something, uh, and your task is to construct a smoothly functioning afterlife, a smoothly functioning heaven and hell. 
So this is sort of like a hybrid God game slash city builder. So you basically build heaven and you build hell and you, there's different buildings to, to support the needs of your either, you know, your angels or your damned. And uh, it's really very unique. Now, without playing it at all, not even looking at a video or, or anything, just from my very vague memories, um, you know, I remember the game was very funny and uh, the gameplay, well, being a little bit clunky, I do remember that, uh, it was actually kind of fun. So you can grab Afterlife from GOG for $5.99 US. Uh, expect me to cover it relatively soon because this is definitely, uh, definitely a unique one. You're listening to the Upper Memory Block Podcast. Okay, so that's it for the news. I may have missed a couple things, but uh, you know, if you think I did, drop me a line and, uh, and we can talk about it. That aside, we've got a couple of emails to go through. The first one comes from Joel, and Joel writes, Okay, two games that have really big followings that I don't believe you have covered unless I missed them. One is M1 Tank Platoon by Microprose. It came out in 1995, I believe. The other is the Jagged Alliance series. I will forgive you for not covering that one yet, as uh, the original is in my top 10 of all time. If it's not in yours, hand in your gamer card at the door on the way out. Just an idea, Joel. Well, thanks, Joel, and... um. You know, I haven't covered Jagged Alliance yet, and I may need to hand in my gamer card because I never played it. <laughs> it's it's on the list. It definitely is. And uh, M1 Tank Platoon might be coming pretty soon because I realize I haven't really covered any... Uh, you know, I've covered flight sims. I've covered space sims. I've covered vehicle sims. You know, I've covered, like, racing games. I've covered uh, submarine sims now. I haven't covered a tank sim. So, um, you know, that one might be one. I think there's uh, one called Shattered something. I think I played one called Armored Fist back in the day. So, uh, you know, I'm kind of I'm kind of going through a list of, uh, of tank sims. And, um, you know, M1 Tank Platoon might be the one that I cover. Who knows? But uh, aside from that, yes, I do apologize. Jagged Alliance is uh, on my list of shame. And uh, I will have to cover it very, very soon. Next, we have an email from Alan, and Alan writes, Hi, Joe. By the way, Fear Factory's style falls between death metal and industrial metal, sort of a crossover of a crossover, which I'm a big fan of. I'd never played the game. We're talking about, uh, we're talking about Carmageddon here. Uh, I'd never played the game, but uh, I knew who the music was by right when the start, uh, right at the start when you first played a sample. I'm going to have to check this game out. I know that uh, at one time, a member of Fear Factory had a side business selling video games online. I think it may be the one who is no longer in the band, and I have no idea what happened to that business. Nice that Father Beast uh, has taken the time to look into podcasts that I'd emailed the list of. Each one of them does have episodes focused on retro games, even if at first glance the cast may not appear to be retro gaming podcasts specifically. Some are retro computing as well as gaming focused, as in building the old computer or arcade cabinet you've, uh, you're going to play the old games on. I'm going to have to check out this Stay Forever cast he emailed in about. Uh, maybe this afternoon. I'm a tech illustrator, and since I spend a lot of time drawing and otherwise making graphics, I get a lot of headphone time in and uh, go through a hell of a lot of podcasts. I like the Amiga game reference, though. I had a C64. My early retro game experience came from me pulling out an old C64 and old 8-bit games that my friends and I played at a time when others were playing many of the games that you cover on this podcast. Uh, we were also playing on an old Zenith system with a friend who'd previously been a tech for Zenith or Heath. He was an older friend who uh, let us use his house for partying and all sorts of gaming, many of the games which involved taking drinks until one couldn't take anymore. 
I've actually been wanting a way to stream audio only of Let's Plays from YouTube. Uh, streaming YouTube video on my phone doesn't work great at the office unless I tap uh, the company's internet Wi-Fi, but I don't really want to be streaming gaming videos over the company network. I've used FlashGet before to rip low-quality versions of video from YouTube that I then put into iTunes, but now YouTube has so many different resolutions and formats that come up uh, that it's sort of a pain. At least it's not like a two-click action anymore. I really enjoy having a niche interest-focused audio to help me get through my work days, trips, etc. I move close to the office so I don't have to commute now, but I still listen to podcasts much more than uh, I watch TV or sadly even how much I read books anymore. So I really appreciate each episode you put up, even if it isn't about a game I'd be particularly interested in playing. I'm finally trying out Rogue Squadron, and despite not caring for it much when I'm trying out the demo for it, I installed a copy of Force Commander that was with it at, half price, at a half-price bookstore. I've not yet gotten Force Commander to work on that system uh, that I put it on. I'm sure the games are available for download from GOG or somewhere now, but it doesn't feel like retro gaming for me if I can just download, install, and run a game with so much ease. Looking forward to the next episode. Oh, and another podcast, if I didn't mention it, in the last email would be The Retroist. Not specifically games-focused, but covers many types of media from the 80s and maybe late 70s. A very nostalgic time for those of us who are hitting middle age now. I think it falls under the Throwback Podcast Network, which has an entire network of retro-focused podcasts. I've just started listening to a movie podcast from the network, and I think I noticed Atari and other 8-bit system-focused stuff as well. Alan. Well, thank you, Alan. And, um, you know, I don't have the same compunction as you. If, if uh, a game's available on GOG, then uh, I download it. And uh, if it works, great. Otherwise, I futz around with DOSBox. And even if it doesn't, sometimes I do have to futz around with DOSBox to get it using my MT32 and all that stuff. So uh, I guess I'm middle ground. Sometimes I like them to just work. And sometimes I want to screw around and get kind of the best experience that I can get. And also, you know, I do have to agree with you. Um, you know, I don't. I definitely don't read as much as I used to. And, uh, you know, podcasts help me a lot to kind of get everything that I need and audiobooks. I do a ton of audiobooks, especially for my other podcast, the Star Wars Stacks, where you know, every month we review a, a Star Wars novel. And um, we did one. I think we, we read Shadows of the Empire and it has an abridged audio version. And we said, no, 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 we can't do that. So, you know, the three of us, uh, me, Chris and Jen that on that show, uh, you know, read Shadows of the Empire and God, it was like a slog. It was, it was, I'm not used to reading anymore. So God, audiobooks basically saved my life because I can listen while I'm, you know, driving to work, while I'm running, while I'm cleaning, while I'm cooking, you know, anything, anything where I have a bit of, uh, where I'm doing something mindless, I can listen to a podcast, I can listen to an audiobook, and uh, it's just a more efficient use of my time. Next, we have an email from Andreas. And Andreas writes, Hi Joe, long time no mail. To be honest, I haven't been listening to the show much anymore. Just so many things on the internet competing for my attention and uh, you haven't covered any games I play lately. As soon as I saw Carmageddon in your podcast feed though, I was all ears again. Where do I even begin? Carmageddon was that amazing game that me and my friends talked about in school, but our parents wouldn't let us have. Being the brave little buggers that we were though, we were not going to let a parent or two stop us from fulfilling our destiny of running over innocent people. My friends solved their perilous situation by buying the game anyway and getting in trouble with their parents. Well, it was freaking worth it. I wasn't quite as confrontational. When Carmageddon 2's demo was included with my favorite gaming magazine, I installed it and played when my parents weren't looking. Then one day my dad walked in so I quickly shut it down, but not before he saw Carmageddon 2 Carpocalypse Now in giant letters on the screen. Good thing I had my story prepared. 
no, Daddy, you've got it all wrong. This is not Carmageddon. This is Carpocalypse. It's a completely different game that happens to be made by the same people Carmageddon's just advertised in this. And here, you don't run over people. You just wreck your opponent's cars. Unfortunately, I had not considered the rather likely scenario where my dad is not a complete idiot and got in trouble. Still, I was much more computer savvy than uh, he will ever be as uh, he could never find my carefully hidden game files. I kept denying the Carmageddon 2 demo, and to this day, I still have never admitted guilt. A shame you're not listening to this podcast, Dad, but then again, you knew all along anyway. Eventually, I got to import the censored version from the UK, but you can guess how that went. Blood patch. Keep up the good work, and I'll keep my eye on the show to make sure to still listen to an episode here and there. If you cover any one of my favorites, you'll probably get another giant bomb of an email from me, Andreas. Well, thank you, Andreas. And, you know, I understand. Uh, there's there's a lot of shows to listen to. And, you know, being that this podcast is, is very niche, and I know a lot of people say, oh, you know, even if I didn't play the game, I find it interesting. Um, you know, and and, and, I, and I'm glad for that. And, and I hope that you do go and listen to some of the episodes that uh, of games that you didn't play. I can see the point. You know, you want you want to relive your memories, and if you don't have the memories, then uh, meh. You know, I could see wanting to do other things. I I I, I understand. But yeah, great memories about Carmageddon, and and yeah, I do remember also, kind of being pretty computer savvy. I always remember back on I think it must have been like our three eighty six or two eighty six. Uh, you know, my dad had this menuing system. I was younger, so it was probably the two eighty six. My dad had this like DOS kind of ANSI menuing system that had like, you know, kind of borders and menus. So, you know, you could just launch programs by going into different program groups and, uh, you know, to and, and you would hit F10 to exit to DOS, but that was password protected. So I could never actually get into DOS until one day I figured, I, I can't remember what I did, but I was able to figure out how to bypass the booting of this menu. Maybe I went like line by line in the auto exec or something because you could do that. You could kind of parse the auto exec on boot line by line and say, enable this line, disable that line. And I was able to disable the last line, which is the one that loaded this locked out menuing system. And so I could get into DOS and I think my dad caught me one day and went, Aah! and you know, in a way he was, he was upset because I went around his, uh, you know, security quote unquote. But I think he was also pretty proud that I was able to figure out how to do that. So anyways, thanks for the memories. And, uh, yeah. Last in the written emails, we have an email from Lenny. And Lenny writes, Hi, long-time listener here. Just wanted to tell you how awesome the show is and that uh, you make me smile often. Thanks for that. Your show is not only fun and informative, its positive tone makes the day brighter. Also, you're one of the few people, well, the only person I know, but I guess there might be more, uh, who manages to make an interesting single-person podcast, one that's neither boring nor hard to listen to. I wanted to tell you this for a long time, but somehow never actually did it. Keep up the good work. Best regards from Germany. Lenny. Well, thank you, Lenny. And, you know, I'm nobody special. <laughs> I just really love these games. And, and it, you know, what's there not to be positive about? I know, you know, some of the news stories up with Kickstarter campaigns. I think we're all experiencing a little bit of Kickstarter fatigue. So, you know, maybe I'm a little bit down on some of them. But, I mean, games are supposed to be fun. So what's the point of being negative about them? If you don't like them, say you don't like them. But, yeah, you know, they got good. They, they have good aspects. I've, I've never played a game that I completely hated, except maybe Privateer 2. But, <laughs> you know, it had good actors in it, so that was a plus. Uh, so, so yeah. And uh, the fact that I'm interesting, I don't think I'm interesting. But <laughs> thank you. So finally, we've got a voicemail from Jamie. Take it away, Jamie. Hey, Joe. Do you remember in the first show, you were like, Hi, my name's Joe. I'm 31. I like DOS games. I do coding, but not game development. I'm from Canada, and my wife's name is Fran. Well, my name's Jamie. I'm 31. 
I like DOS games. I do coding, but not game development. I'm from Australia, which is a Commonwealth company, and my partner's name is also Fran. So it kind of flipped me out to hear you say all these things. It's like you're um, an alternate version of me, maybe. <laughs> um, so anyway, I've been listening to the back catalog of shows. Um, I'm about halfway through. Um, I just wanted to write and say uh, I really love your show. Um, you, you've got a great format. You get down to business. Um, a lot of podcasts really meander and seem to be, you know, four guys swearing at each other for two hours, which is just not that great. Um, yeah, you got some really cool regulars who write in. Um, it's, it's always good to hear from them too. Um, I wanted to in particular say thank you for your Doom show. Um, I've been in and out of the Doom community since it got open sourced. Um, you know, the first shovelware CDs, you know, I was just playing them, you know, the, the CDs full of crappy maps. Um, and then I, I kind of joined and I've been on the forums, you know, on and off for 10 or 15 years. Um, I actually won one of the community awards one year for a, a map set called UAC Ultra. Check it out. Um, so anyway, so many podcasts get their, uh, their Doom show wrong. You know, the guys don't know about it or they have a guess at a few things and get it wrong. But, dude, you were, were spot on. Um, you either did a lot of research or you have mapped yourself um, in the past. You, you got everything um yeah really really out of the park it was fantastic um the doom novels um you you mentioned in the mist show you didn't really know much about them um the first two doom novels um kind of follow the the storyline of the game and the the last two doom novels kind of take off in the the author's own direction they're written by um daffod ab hugh and i've seen his name on star trek extended universe books and a guy called brad Weaver, but I, I don't know him at all um so anyway yeah that was that was cool um i also have a, a passing amateur interest in history um and in, in particular, one of the things I like is video game preservation. So I think it's really important um, for games to be, you know, available um, for sale uh, or as freeware. That's great. And um, open sourcing game engines, um, you know, you don't have to open source the content. The con content can be commercial, but open sourcing the game engine is really important so that, you know, these games can be, be run and played on modern systems because, you know, you can't buy a DOS computer anymore. You need to, you know, use an emulation layer like DOSBox and uh, you know for a lot of other systems um, you know emulation is the only way to play them and and even then you know it's not perfect sometimes so it's really important that um, that engines are open sourced and that uh, these games can be played um, from a historical perspective what you're doing with the podcast is really important because um, it gives first-hand accounts of what it was like to be there and, and actually play these you know talking about you know, passing cheat codes around a school or, or you know, people's stories of, oh, I played this with my dad and, and, and you know, we, we keep a, a notebook or a map of this or whatever. Like, this is all really cool stuff because one day there's not going to be people who were alive in the 1990s, you know, in another hundred years or so. There'll be no one around to say, yes, I played DOS games when they came out. So what you're, you're doing and recording here is really important for video games preservation. And um, as time goes on, you know, hopefully this will become more and more important um, for people to, to catalog and to keep track of. Um, to that effect, I would encourage you to look into whether your state library or some other similar institution um, <coughs> keeps a catalog of works created in your state. I know the state library here um, in, in my state called Queensland in Australia, um, 
they keep anything any Queensland resident makes. So anything from a best-selling novel to like a, a little, you know, Bridge Club's newsletter that has a readership of 10 people, um, or one person, they keep a copy of all of that archived and they keep physical stuff, they keep digital stuff. Um, and they do that because, you know, of its cultural importance. Um, so... I would encourage you to see if, if there's something like that you can do um, because you're creating important cultural content for your state as well. Uh, well, that's about all I wanted to say. Um, yeah, thanks very much for the show. I'll, um, I'll keep listening and uh, maybe I'll even write in if, if I know something about a future show that's coming up again. Uh, cheers, dude. Uh, thanks, Eves, and bye. Well, thanks so much, Jamie. And you know, you say a couple of good things there. Firstly, uh, <laughs> I think it is interesting because, you know, if you were doing a show and you were saying all the things that I said, then I would I would have thought the exact same thing. I actually, uh, we were watching a, a weird TV show. I can't remember what it was, but there was this couple on it called Joe and Fran. And every time, you know, they said Joe and Fran, I went to my wife. I'm like, Joe and Fran, it's Joe and Fran. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so, you know, that's, uh, it's always interesting when, when little weird kind of coincidental stuff like that happens. Um, but you know it, your 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 statements about kind of you know video game archiving and video game preservation and that stuff actually reminded me of a news story that uh, that I didn't put into the into the rundown here, and uh, this one actually came out a little while back on April eighth uh, from the Electronic Frontier Foundation. So I, I have to do a little more research into this because I want to make sure that I'm I'm getting it right. But basically, the headline here is video game publishers are saying that uh, preserving abandoned games, even for things like archive.org and museums and, and archival purposes, is illegal because to do it properly, you need to bypass copy protection, and that is hacking, and hacking is illegal according to the U.S. Digital Millennium Copyright Act's anti-circumvision prevention uh, provisions in Section 1201 of that act. So, um, you know, I think uh, the EFF is kind of asking uh, for... Uh, for the copyright office in the U.S. to kind of look at this and provide an exception and provide some kind of legal protections to uh, to sites like archive.org because, uh, you know, they put up that massive DOS games archive a little while back because exactly that, like, yes, I understand. You know, these were commercial products. They are, or at least at one point, were copyright owned by somebody that copyright was enforceable it may or may not have been enforced these companies may no longer be around the rights might be owned by someone they might not be and i understand that at the end of the day companies are around to make money but no one's making money off of these things anymore so you know why is my question you know why do you do you want to put up a stink for something that is worth you know cents on the dollar if that and you know that that you know these things are going to go away they're going to be gone you know like we can preserve i guess can we preserve music i don't even know anymore but uh you know we do this for music we do this for movies like you know we don't want these things to go away so if people are going to the trouble of holding on to them and keeping them in a way that we can still experience them I don't see why that's a bad thing, but I guess, you know, business is business kind of a thing. So, you know, hopefully the EFF can do some stuff about this. Like I said, I'm going to look into this a little bit more because I remembered reading about it and, you know, I'm just skimming the article now and, you know, it's legal stuff. So, you know, I ain't a lawyer, but, uh, 
you know, thanks for that, Jamie. Thanks for reminding me about this. And, you know, I'm going to go check with the library because, like you said, we're both from Commonwealth countries. So it's quite possible that, uh, <laughs> you know, um, programs that you have in Australia, they might have the same kind of programs here in Canada. And, uh, you know, if I can get the, the podcast put into some kind of archive for, uh, you know, for posterity, for people in, you know, 200 years to go and look at and say, wow, that's what they played. They don't have brain implants to play like, you know, games while they're passed out sleeping or whatever, then uh, that's great. So thank you so much. Imagine yourself strolling the streets of Coruscant, leading a squadron of elite X-Wing pilots, going toe-to-toe with the Dark Lord of the Sith. You can. All you have to do is crack open a book and listen to the Star Wars Stacks podcast and book club. Each month, your hosts Joe, Chris, and Jen take you on a guided tour of the expanded universe. The hosts begin the reviews with a non-spoiler synopsis and analysis to help you decide whether it's worth a read before sounding a spoiler alert and delving into the story in great detail. Subscribe to the show via iTunes or Stitcher Radio. Find the Star Wars Stacks on Facebook, Twitter, Goodreads, and SWStacksShow.com. The Star Wars Stacks Podcast and Book Club. It's fun. It's immersive. It's Star Wars. Actually, that promo just reminded me. uh, It's uh, Celebration 2015. Star Wars Celebration Anaheim is happening. uh, I think it's starting tomorrow uh, and going until Saturday or Sunday. And, um, you know, we're going to see a lot of stuff about Star Wars. I know this isn't the Star Wars stacks, but uh, relevant to this show, sort of, is... um, you know, I'm hoping that at Celebration we're going to hear a little bit more about uh, about the upcoming Battlefront game. And, uh, you know, like I said, if that's going to come out under LucasArts' banner. And, uh, you know, I played Battlefront quite a bit. Uh, I wasn't, I didn't play it quite as much as I played, you know, like X-Wing and TIE Fighter and, and the older ones. But I, I remember Battlefront being an incredible game. Republic Commando was one of those diamond in the rough games. And so, you know, if uh, I'm very interested to see what uh, what the new Battlefront is is all about so that aside that's that for the show um a little shorter this time around just uh you know because we're just going over news and and this and that uh so don't worry though because you're going to get some more content very soon this weekend on saturday we've got the second hangout happening uh for the five dollar plus patrons uh everyone's going to be able to watch live on youtube if everything works right uh and it's going to be on the feed and audio form soon after you can go watch the raw video uh post it on youtube immediately after we finish the chat it's gonna be really really fun uh, we're gonna have a few people chatting about uh remakes and remasters and spiritual successors and sequels and you know what's the difference between all those things which ones do you like which ones did you hate uh trolls is going to be there so i'm sure we're going to get some uh some some good drinking in every time he says a swear word <laughs> and uh yeah so so look forward to that and after that um Probably next weekend, more likely than not, unless uh, my life does something to me. Uh, we're going to do the next regular show on Spycraft the Great Game. So send me th- your emails on that full motion video adventure. So this, since this is one of the news shows, to close things out, uh, I'd like to throw on some music. Since I recently covered Grim Fandango, uh, I figured I'd hit up a remix of that. Uh, over on OC Remix, I found a pretty trippy version of the track The Enlightened Florist off of the Grim Fandango soundtrack. Now, the remix is called The Enlightened Alaskan, and it was remixed by Maze Dude. So enjoy that, and we will see you in a few days for The Hangout.
Battle control terminated. You've been listening to the Upper Memory Block Podcast with Joe Mastriani. For more information on the podcast, visit umbcast.com. That's umbcast.com. Write to Joe today at podcast at umbcast.com. That's podcast at umbcast.com. So what shall it be? Do you join the unity or do you die here? Join us.